Thank you for downloading The Tully Show. Now, let's take our relationship to the next level. Please take a second to rate, review, subscribe to the show. If you're listening on your phone, you can probably do it while you listen, right? Don't ask me. I still listen to these fucking things on an iPod. Do it up, and thanks again. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, yes, coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a stand-up comic whose first special, Trust Me, debuted earlier this year on Comedy Central, and who can be seen in the new movie, The Big Sick, a Judd Apatow production in studios this weekend. Nice to meet you, Kurt Brownoller. Hey, how you doing? Great, thank you. You, uh, this is an exciting time for you. Uh, I, it's a big deal. You're involved on multiple fronts with a big, big motion picture. It is my first. It is my first big movie. Like that, the premiere it was the first time I walked the red carpet and was asked questions. Yeah, it's a big deal. Did you feel like everyone who talked to you on the red carpet was fully aware of who they were talking no. to? No. Oh no 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 no! Yeah, like yeah. they would look, they would look down, mm-hmm. and then there's like a lot of a lot of people just didn't want to talk to me at all. Yeah, so yeah, there yeah. was oh, yeah. there I've was a on, lot I've, of like I've, I've passing. On, yeah, I've been on both sides of that. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's it's uncomfortable. It's all uncomfortable around. across the board. If you're not on the absolute A list, or... I would just wave at them as I pass by. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, they and also the people who are interviewing you are just being, they're just being nice to you. <laughs> they're not gonna. No one's looking up my red carpet interview. You know, nobody's going to search that out. Yeah, this isn't leading the article on Variety or anything <laughs> <No>. like that. <laughs> so uh, just for people who may not know, what, in broad strokes, the movie is about... Yes, it was. Uh, it's based on uh, Kumail Nanjiani and his wife Emily Gordon's relationship. Um, and uh, basically, the, sh- the short of it is uh, they met, and then eight weeks after they met, she, uh, he actually had to sign her into a medically induced coma. Uh, and at that point, uh, Kumail meets uh, her fa- her parents, um, and uh, fireworks go off from there. So it's just kind of uh, it's kind of two cultures clashing. Uh, Kumail's uh, family is Pakistani, and they want him with an arranged marriage. And uh, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano play Emily's parents, and Zoe Kazan plays Emily. And I play uh, a roommate of Kumail's roommate, and kind of a member of his uh, kind of stand-up crew. Okay. And yeah. so so this is ripped from real life yes. kind of thing. 100%. It, it's fictionalized, but of course. it's all based on yeah. events that actually happened to them. And you guys have a like long-standing relationship? Yeah. Kumail and Emily and I have been friends since they moved to New York. So this was all uh, based in Chicago when they lived in Chicago. Um, and then, so this all happened like right a year maybe before I met them. Okay, yeah. and you um, functioned in addition to acting in the movie as the onset writer. Yes. Now, what does that mean exactly? It is a basic. I was there every day and uh, pitching jokes to for everybody. Who wrote the script? The script was written by uh, Kumail and Emily. Okay, so is this just yeah. a thing of where, like, I mean, obviously they are 
they are going to be trying to come up with stuff on the fly. You write it, and then you go and film it, and you go, oh, shit, now that we're actually doing it, Mm -hmm. that doesn't work the way we thought it was. Or turns out we couldn't afford to rent a Zeppelin for the day, so what are we going to write around that? It was surprising how many scenes they had written a Zeppelin into, (laughs) knowing that there's not many Zeppelins available in New York City. I believe they're primed for a comeback. I'm hearing great things about it. Fingers crossed. I mean, if you really want, if you're serious about traveling in real luxury, you like know, you're a 1920s magnet. Yeah, you're gonna you know you have to risk it all and strap yourself onto a couple hundred tons of uh, helium. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part about a zeppelin is that it's like mostly steel. It's like a steel frame. I love that where just yeah. like air is gonna hold this baby up. I like how it's a great big bomb that you're kind of <laughs> up in the sky in. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that part too. And the crazy part that I guess people know but is often forgotten, assuming it's even true, right? Is is even if the thing had worked, um the the Hindenburg, they were landing it on the Empire State Building, right? Yeah. People were supposed to travel, uh, you know, heiresses and and oil magnets, as you say, were supposed to travel across the Atlantic and then just casually repel onto a building that is like 80 stories high. Yeah, they're supposed to tie off to that thing at the top. <laughs> and then, yeah, I don't know, understand. That was the plan. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get this humongous fucking balloon, and we're going to fly it across the ocean, and then we're going to land it on the world's largest needle. Yeah, but also with... <laughs> And also, oh, but is it regular air? No, no, it's it's fuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, air it's, fuel. It's it's bomb air. It's <laughs> explosion air. That thing crashed in New Jersey. Yeah, I think it was in Lindcroft or uh, Lynn something or other. Lynn wasn't, something wasn't Lindhurst. I know okay. that. I remember the nuns from my grammar school talking about seeing it pass over them right before it crashed. I had a buddy growing up, because we're both from New Jersey, yeah. who um, his dad owned a limousine company, and he swore that his grandfather had also owned a limousine company and that he was picking someone up. Oh, wow. At the the Hindenburg. Wow. And now that I think of it, this doesn't story doesn't make any sense. It doesn't sense make any because sense. Because I don't know why he would have been in New Jersey and not waiting outside of the Empire State Building, but it's a good story <laughs> anyway. Supposedly went over and, and, and pulled a piece of uh, like molten Hindenburg off of somebody. Oh, good. Yeah, because yeah. that's easy to do. Molten <laughs> metal, just pull you it know, right off Kurt, somebody. In, uh, in, no, I mean, in, it's in a, times of extreme stress, it's just a, it's amazing what the human body is. It's capable a ro- of. a lot of forethought to predict where it will crash and send a limo <laughs> to that location. There may have been a certain psychic <laughs> element to this whole thing. So, do you do you um how how do you feel like being from New Jersey has affected the kind of person you are? Because you can't, n- nobody gets out of their hometown, and particularly if their hometown is in New Jersey, unaffected by it. And it's kind of like when you have really strict parents. You're either going to grow up and become a really strict parent yourself, or you're going to be the person yeah. who 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 uh, who lets their kids smoke weed around the house, right? So it's like you either become like a Jersey Shore cast member, or you become your best idea of a, the mirror image of that. Right. Or, I'm sorry, the, the opposite of that. And I think I've kind of gone full circle at this point. So you did because, have a Guido face. Yeah. <laughs> did you really? No, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. But I mean, no, I, I, I think when I lived in New Jersey, I deeply, deeply, deeply hated it mm-hmm. um, and wanted nothing more than to get out. And I think the way it actually affected my comedy was that it there was, it was, and I think that this is pretty typical of any suburban place in America, but there was, no thing there was no thing to do uh and so we would just like invent you know stuff to do yeah Dunkin' donuts was a legitimate activity 
A 100 per- Walking to Wawa <laughs> yeah. was every Friday and Saturday night for like seven years. I have a favorite sandwich from Quick Check. Oh, the pork roll, egg, and cheese. That's, that's my favorite Quick Check I, sandwich. I'm a champ guy, but to each okay. his own. All right. Uh, I love the quick... Man, I love a quick check. I love a quick check. I love a Wawa. I love a chain. I love a chain. I love regional chains. Yeah, I, I like... I prefer regional chains yeah, to like funny. a Starbucks. Yeah, I don't I don't like national corporations, and don't ask me why I've got a vendetta against mom and pops, but it's just always funny. I love when somebody is just big enough that they were able to um, get a, a gimmick and a, yeah. and, and a logo, mm-hmm. but they was not big enough that they were able to take it anywhere. To another state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Single state chains are. They're kind of like unique and beautiful. Yeah, exactly. They're... I was actually a little bummed when Jersey Mike's like went national, but I'm very happy they're in LA because I really love it. It's it's pretty like it's, it's, it's pretty spot. That was on. my first job. Well, you know what? Did you work at a Jersey Mike's? I think I worked at like the th- second one. It was in Wall, New Jersey. Okay, yeah, I the was, first ones. I in... started for, at fourteen, I think. That was my first job. Got fired. Wall is that where is that where the Rainbow Rockatorium is? It's right or? next to Brick. Which oh, is that's the Brick. Hilarious Brick. Part. Brick is where yeah. the Rainbow Rockatorium yeah, yeah. was. That's where I used to buy all my uh, my bootleg crew nice. performances uh, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's funny because sometimes I go to Jersey Mike's and I, they clearly have been coached to like lay it on thick, be especially friendly and, uh-huh. and forward. Yeah. And like, oh, what kind of day you having? Yeah. And I'm like, are you under the impression that, that this that is, is what it's like in how New Jersey? People interact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, in New Jersey, you'd just be like, what do you want? What do you want? Come no, on, I know, I know. Like, you're supposed to shove me in the shoulder and ask me what I think about the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, one more question about the the big sick. Yeah. So, just what? How do you react to this statement? The success of the movie is lies largely in, in other people's hands. It's, it's pretty much out of your control. Right. And yet, if it's incredibly successful, it's kind of bound to create lots of really cool opportunities for you. And if for some reason, which is not going to happen, it's like the most catastrophic failure, and it's you know it's notorious for that. It could really sidetrack you, and is that that just seems like the reality of being involved with motion pictures? Is your everybody is kind of along for the ride? No one human being can will anything, any movie to be great. I mean, here's the deal. I I, I wonder about this, and I will find out. I will find out in the coming month. Whether or not this does affect me, first off, first and foremost, I'm very happy to have been a part of this movie. Like it's it's definitely like just a critical acclaim. It just and also to be able to like pitch jokes to Holly Hunter is is crazy. It was a very it was a, I was terrified, and she you know she just looks at you very uh, seriously the whole time. Like she doesn't laugh when you're like pitching her jokes. I'm pitching her joke after joke after joke. And she's just going uh huh uh huh uh huh, and then she like does them all and kills them. Um, but it will be interesting to see if, because I think maybe if you're in a bad, bad, bad movie, but you're like a side character, I'm a side character, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know if people notice. But if you're in a really good movie, do people notice? I don't know. Well, I, I think they do because- I hope they notice. It would be very nice for me. I would like to have more people <laughs> at my shows to see my comedy. Well, of course. Well, and you know, movie work in and of itself is not a, a bad thing. No, I, I just notice- uh, I think that work begets work, and it's 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 the, as, as with many industries in the world, it's like how do you get the job? You have to have experience, and yeah. that's the the catch twenty two. But I have a child; I know you do too. And and uh, I'll see like the same bit people turn up in kids' movies Every movie. over and over, and clearly yeah. it becomes this sort of uh, 
well, why don't we hire so and so? They've been in blah 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 and blah blah blah. We can't be wrong by picking right. this person. But and we I think could that's be... a lot of this industry. Yeah. This industry is a person who merely doesn't want to get fired, mm-hmm. and they're just making decisions based on, well, this is a decision that won't get me fired. Yeah, and it's sort of comical how often for how big and how much money is involved with these studios that they're just new regime after new regime. They're all like banana republics. Yeah. There's constantly a military coup waiting to happen and to turn everything. And I have friends, I'm sure you yeah. you have friends if not if you haven't been in the situation yourself where they have movie projects that are like the closest thing to a sure thing go you will ever find in Hollywood. But if the person who is running the studio were to get fired tomorrow, that project will never be heard from yeah. because there's nothing to be gained from releasing a movie that somebody else, if you put out somebody else's movie that they approved and it sucks, well, you're, wh- why do you think we fired that moron? Yeah. But if you put it out and it succeeds, well, why did we fire that genius? Yeah. You know? No, I mean, it is. It's a very Machiavellian industry. It's also like movies, you know, there's a big difference, which I was very surprised at, between uh, like making a TV show and making a movie. Mm-hmm. Like movies are about money in a way that, TV shows are not, even though TV shows cost can cost a, a million dollars an episode, you know, if not more. Yeah. Uh, a, the amount of money that goes in and that is a potential for like a studio to make off of a movie is astronomical compared to that. And so it is. It's crazy. There's just like, you know, I remember I was like, had this idea. I was like, oh, I, was like, I got an idea for a movie. And literally someone just sat me down and was like, I've seen this idea before. Uh, you could make it for 500000 but I wouldn't encourage it. I have never seen a movie like this make more than $5 million. Next. And I was like, oh, geez. It's just like you don't, you're, not, you're not talked that to that way when you're like trying to pitch a TV show. Yeah. They're more about like an idea. And a movie is like whether or not it will sell, yeah, which is crazy. The intersection of art and, and commerce. And massive commerce. Yeah. Because on a global scale, like a movie can make uh, like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Your movie, unlike most um, uh, good comedies, uh, <laughs> you know, it, which is to say, not the very, very, very broad ones where you know Robert De Niro is uh, selling out his own legacy. <laughs> uh, most of those don't stand much of a chance overseas because there's just you need to know the culture. It yeah. would seem like you'd have a punching chance in other parts of the world oh, strictly because Kamel's involved. Yeah, and also it's about and on some level and a small part of the movie is about the immigrant experience in America. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, it might do well overseas. I'm not sure. I, you know, again, this is my first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Uh and I it's, it's it's so my first rodeo, I was surprised there were horses here. You know, like that sort of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Babe in the woods. Yeah. So you have um you have two podcasts that I'm aware of. Yes. And both of them, uh, it seems to me, are fundamentally about relationships. Yeah. D- I mean, did you really think while well, I'm doing one relationship podcast, this is kind of my niche, I should do more of this? Did it happen accidentally? Is this a conscious thing? They both came out of a podcast I had before this. Uh that was called the K hole, and it was a multi format podcast. And then we kind of, I just would make different formats of podcasts and have it under one name. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one of them is called Wedlock with my wife Lauren Cook. And now that's on Audible. It's an audio series on Audible. You can listen to it on the Audible app. Um, and and that was just kind of lived on its own. And then this other podcast that. Again, we started on the K-Hole called Emotional Hangs, which is all about adult friendship that I, uh, <laughs> that I host with Joe DeRosa. Yeah. Um, it's all about like just men being soft with each other. 
Uh, and it is interesting. I think in general, I started from a place in my comedy that was into uh, whimsy and absurdity and very like a sketch oriented, uh, uh, you know, idea of what's funny. And now I've kind of just moving more and more in like the work that I'm writing and, and my stand up to having like an emotional core to the things that I'm talk- talking about. And I think that's maybe just getting older yeah, probably. and also kind of burning out on just uh, surface level funny. And I want something that, that, that hits another few nerves. It's like more, uh, more accessible, I guess, but also more grounded. Yeah. So, so do you just sit down once or twice a week and like examine your relationship with your wife? publicly and then distribute it to people this is so we that's how what it used to be and now that it's with audible yeah and that's a uniquely terrible idea <laughs> oh man you're telling me uh this is now it's like a very highly produced show uh-huh. so it's like uh you know they're short episodes they're 30 minutes long and we have like five different sections to them so we travel always for each episode in our in our first episode, it's all about monogamy and whether cheating is the norm or monogamy is the norm. And where, where, uh, where did where, what did you offer to that conversation? <laughs> well, the one thing that because we were talking about cam girls because we interviewed one of like the most popular cam girls in the world. Yeah, I was talking to a couple former cam girls today. Actually, yeah, and uh, fascinating. First off, this woman that we interviewed, her biggest tip in one day was twenty seven thousand dollars. That is very different from the story that I was hearing from these scam girls today. They're talking about being offered like fractions of pennies in exchange yeah, th- for taking their clothes I off. I think she she got in very early. Yeah. Now all of her clients pay uh, $20 a minute, and she has like 10 or 12 of them going at once. It's great. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found out that going and seeing a cam girl, my, my, my wife considered cheating. Right, right. Once they're able to interact back with you interact even though it's on a screen there's no physical contact ever Mm -hmm. she considers that so we had like kind of an argument about that um but the cam girl agreed with her that it was cheating so yeah i think i do i think i do too Uh, the rule of thumb that we kind of worked out on my other show the jason ellis show is if you if if you uh if you don't if you choose to not tell your partner about it it is it is cheating. Yeah. So there are actually things. So which means it's a sliding scale for different people. If but this what, is something like, that your wife would be, you know, like uh, some people might be comfortable saying to their wife, uh, I I was at this event or whatever without you, and it was this girl, and I mean she was hitting on me pretty hard. Some people would never tell their wife that because yeah. why are you telling me this? Are you threatening me? Yeah. You know. Yeah. No. I mean that kind of a thing I would go back and forth on, but also this idea that if you don't tell your wife, it's it's cheating. Mm-hmm. Does that mean like if I go and get McBurger King on the way home and don't tell my wife about it, I cheated on her? Well, no. I mean, I'm speaking, <laughs> you know, strictly of of uh, of of you know your a female monogamous relationship. But uh, but yeah. Would so, you tell your wife? Would you tell your wife if you if you if I cheated on her? No. If <laughs> <laughs> if you flirted with uh, if a girl was really heavily flirting with you at a I well, it doesn't happen all that often. I believe I believe I have. Because I thought that there was maybe more to the story than that. Here's why it was funny okay. that this was happening. Oh, if right. it was strictly the the ego stroke of it, yeah. No, I think I'm. I, mean, I would. I probably it... would have made that mistake for the first thirty five years of my yeah. life, but I think I've finally gotten over that particular hump. Yeah, I think I would keep that to myself only because of what you said. Is like, are you threatening me? Are you like coming home to tell me that like people find you attractive? Right. Yeah. Right. Which is funny because now that I think of it, my wife will totally tell me when somebody 
hits on her, and yeah. I could completely. I love it. I mean, I yeah. think that's the, the you know, it's pretty well established fact at this point that men and women look at things a little <laughs> bit differently. Isn't your is uh, that true? Yeah, I believe it or not. That's I've noticed the differences, uh, Kurt, are uh, subtle but many. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, in your stand-up special, you talked about your wife catching you jerking off. Yes. That was two weeks after we gotten married. Okay, so that strongly implies that you did not or, or do not have an open dialogue about masturbation. I think we do now. That'll, yeah, I guess that'll help. Well, I don't even, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I don't know if we do. Um, I think it was just surprising to her. Because, one, we had just got married. And then, two, she was like, I'm going to be home soon. Like, you knew I was going to be home soon. Why didn't we just have sex? I think that was why she was upset. Oh, okay. Uh, and, in, and in my mind, it was like, they're two different things. Jerking off and having sex are very different from each other. Like, one is a whole romantic act. And the other one is, in my mind, just like stress relief. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they're they're, they're definitely... I would never want to live a, a life where I was having so much sex that I could never masturbate, or yeah. not, not that that's likely to happen. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I enjoy that it can be an incredibly selfish act. Yeah, and also it's short. You know, it's just like well, ah, not, not no, how I, I do it. Get back. I got the way you. Do I got a really clear. <laughs> clear it's a real eight-hour experience. Yeah, yeah I it's I like some... taking mushrooms for you. I got you supplies. Really got I got a. I got a tarp <laughs> off the room. <laughs> Did you talk about that on your podcast? Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I mean, are we supposed to be in in uh, like it does does a does a healthy relationship necessarily function a healthy dialogue about masturbation assuming one or both parties are doing it which they probably are it really it i think it depends i think communication about the stuff that bo- is bothering you i think is very important but whether or not you have to talk about every time you jerk off uh, i don't think so i think there's yeah. there's an uh, there's element of mystery and uh, uh to romance uh, yeah. Uh, yeah which right. i think is necessary but i think also if you're not expressing uh, things that bother you, or the, or just simply expressing how you're like emotionally doing to mm-hmm. your partner. That's where things just build up, and then you don't even understand why you're fighting. R- right, there's just levels upon levels upon levels. Because I have a friend who uh, he's he's divorced now. I don't think it has anything to do with the anecdote. I'm going to tell you that um, his his wife called him, and he was hungover, and she said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "I've been jerking off and eating Cheetos, and now my dick is orange." <laughs> And and she thought was... that was hilarious, <laughs> and he knew that he's she a would... stand up, right? No, oh, he's not. He's uh, he's a uh, he's well, he's a, he's a lot of things, but I guess for the purposes of this podcast, he uh, he's a wine producer. Okay, he comes from from wine people because <laughs> that sounds like the day, like that sounds like a Saturday when you're on the road, uh-huh. hungover, and you're jerking off all day, Cheeto Dick, yeah. yeah, and then you sleep, and then you go do two more shows. Um. Yeah. Keep that in mind the next time you go to your local comedy club and <laughs> see a touring comedian. And then you also do this thing with uh, Joe DeRose. I'm fairly friendly with uh, with Joe. Nice. Uh, what is it about? What is there to be said about adult friendship? And well, like, okay, we'll start. With, what is adult friendship in your mind? So what we so the reason we started the podcast was um, that we didn't become friends until about like. Th- Three years ago, like when we both moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. And we're both adults. You know, I'm a 41-year-old man. 
And we became friends when we were like 37 and 38, which is, in our, w- w- from our experience, very rare to like actually yes. commit to being friends with another grown man. Yeah. Because you have to like make the choice, I'm going to be friends with this person, because it doesn't just like naturally happen. Well, you got to go past the first, it's the first meeting, because um, I made one friend in my 30s, which yeah. are just, or are going to end in two weeks. Um, uh, and and we were at a uh, somebody's birthday party, and, and it was like a dinner, and we started talking about hair metal, and we're both like fanatics about it and then at the end it's really like when i was 17 and i met a best friend like we just we didn't even need to be said hey man you're fucking awesome we're just gonna hang out every day for the rest of our lives it was it was a I, i felt actually fairly brave for saying hey it was really nice to meet you we should maybe go get a beer sometime yeah and like what the fuck it feels almost more weird uh than asking a woman out on a date yeah, because that's socially because acceptable. That's socially acceptable, and yeah. this is very vulnerable. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what the podcast is about, <laughs> is about vulnerability. Uh-huh. Um, it's about us being vulnerable with each other, and then we interview people who became friends as adults and kind of get them to be vulnerable with each other as well. Okay. And and you find that there is uh, a- enough variety to experiences of that ilk? Oh, 100%. Okay. Like, yeah. Like, so, so right now, like what the, the what the – podcast has been about kind of on a the undercurrent behind it is that I found out that I have a secret brother and Joe is adopted so we've been both trying to I've been trying to find my secret brother and Joe has been trying to find his adopted or like his biological parents Uh, and so there's been like kind of that's the underlying thing that we keep coming back and checking in on because that's like a multi-year process to like try and figure either of those things out Yes, And so that is kind of a, a, a base level to it. And then another level to it is we analyze our friendships, our friendship with each other. We, ha- we analyze fights with each other because those happen a lot. Uh, and then so we this is a fi- this is a fiery relationship. Yeah. You guys, oh yeah. One hundred percent. He has become friendly. I I know for a fact of late with uh, with Doug Benson. Does that yes. does that threaten you in any way? You know, he told me. <laughs> I think, and he talked about it on the. No, he didn't. He talked to, to me on on the phone, and we're like, oh, we have to talk about this on the podcast. Uh-huh. He was like, I think Doug and I are becoming friends. Like yeah. He invited me to a thing mm-hmm. that he already had tickets for, and I was like, well, 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 look at this, which it is is worrisome because now you know I have a daughter a newborn so you know it's like uh i'm less available to joe to hang out now yeah he can't he can't wait for you forever yeah i know he's got to move on to doug benson (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm just gonna read a sentence from your biography okay uh kurt rode a jet ski from chicago to new orleans on a seven city water tour slash mission to send 500 goats and 1000 chickens to families in need in africa that is correct we only ended up sending 370 chickens and 156 goats, which is too bad. Were, we were, you, were people like uh, uh, supporting you with like web donations as you did yes. this? Yes. So it was uh, it was an idea we had, and then we decided to make it as a web series for Comedy Central. Uh, and so, because we were going to make a web series for Comedy Central, like, why not make it this grand kind of, like, mission? And we wanted to raise $50,000 for Heifer International. Yeah. And Heifer, yeah. Heifer provides, you know, livestock for people. Sure, that was my Christmas present for people I don't like for years. There you go. 
<laughs> Here you go. I gave something. You don't even know if I ever did it. I actually. gave somebody half a cow, or so I'm told. I exactly. Don't know. I paid right? fifteen dollars. Right. So this would be like one one goat and two chickens per family, which would create like kind of a mini economy for that family. And uh, I think we ended up raising thirty-seven thousand, which That's, is great. Yeah, that is really great. And then I rode, you know, over six hundred miles on a jet ski uh, down the Mississippi River. We started in uh, Chicago, like in Lake Michigan. Came down uh, the Chicago River, which was crazy and awesome. Then into the Illinois River. Then got stuck. We ran out of gas. It was it was really insane. We ran out of gas over what's called a a um, a like a I don't even know what it's called. It's like a fish trap because essentially there's these this invasive invasive species in the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, called, is it the? It's not the lionfish, is it? No, it's the Asian carp. Okay. And they jump. They jump like, but anytime like there's motors, they get scared and jump. Oh, it's, they're crazy. So they can actually like break your jaw if you're going fast, and mm-hmm. they jump into you. Uh, but they're invasive, and they just destroy everything because there's nothing that hunts them. Yeah, no natural predators. And they're right. terrified of it getting into Lake Michigan. Right. So what they've done is hilarious. Is for one full mile, they've embedded uh, copper wire in the water and electrified the water on the on the uh, Illinois River. And which is essentially like an industrial, you know, waterway. Uh, and so that's where we ran out of gas was over uh, water that's actually electrified. It was a crazy okay. first day. Now, I've always wondered about if you like, OK, if you put uh, a toaster in the bathtub, it'll probably kill you or hurt right. you. Bad, bad move. Right. But if you ran an extension cord out to the beach and you threw a toaster in the in the ocean, you would not murder everybody who was in the ocean. No, because so, think like, about how many times the lightning is striking the ocean. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Right. You wouldn't even need to scratch that whole idea about the toaster. Not <laughs> even not even necessary. <laughs> but I like that this anyway, it's more personal now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I want to feel like I did my part to murder everybody <laughs> who's in the Pacific Ocean. So like how far does a a lethal what could be a lethal charge of electricity and why did they let you ride your jet ski over this lethal electric You're allowed water. to. You're allowed to ride boats over this. And I and, and I mean, is I there think no is there no like if you, like a sign if you if you fall out you're going to get fried here? There, oh there's giant signs that yeah. say water electrified on either side of the river. I have photographs of them. Oh, They're yeah. crazy signs. That's what Instagram was made for. Yeah. Water electrified. And apparently what it is is it's it's a it's a charge that merely annoys the fish so that they just stay away from it. They don't oh, want to okay. go near it. Yeah, it doesn't like kill them or anything. It's like, like that. the dog collars. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. That's Mel. Yeah, you could survive that. No problem. <laughs> um, and now I'm just going to read a sentence off of your Wikipedia. Uh, Kurt Braunohler was featured in episode 457 of This American Life, where he discussed his experience bringing the concept of rumspringa to his monogamous relationship of 13 years. Rumspringa being the uh, the year of freedom that they give the Amish kids. Yeah, they, it's it actually translates to uh, running around. Okay, and I saw the documentary. Yeah, about the kids. Yeah, and they usually they just go, they drink beer and they dance to music and do a lot of meth. They do a little meth. Yeah, <laughs> and then they realize that they're not ready to be shunned by everything and everyone they've ever known. And then that's they go the back tough part. Right? Yeah, you would think it's just like ah, I don't want to be Amish anymore. It's like everybody you know is Amish. They all go back. Yeah, yeah everybody yeah, yeah. goes back. Yeah, you and the ones who don't just are like just selling meth. Yeah, I, mean, I guess growing up Amish doesn't prepare you to do much, but but be <laughs> Amish. <laughs> yeah. So that sounds to me like we're 
were taking a break in our relationship? So what it was was uh, we had been dating since we were 18. Uh, oh, okay. We were dating from, like, I was 18 until 31. And then at 31, we had just never discussed getting married. And uh, one day I kind of approached her and I was like, why haven't we ever talked about getting married? And she said, well, I think before we do, we should probably sleep with other people. Uh, because we'd never like slept with anybody else in our entire life. Uh, how does that? How does that feel when uh, someone says that to you? When a woman says that to a man, because I was double thumbs up. So kind you're super of, into that. Okay, there was, I was totally into it because I think it was probably our weird way of breaking up, but we couldn't admit to ourselves that we should break up. Oh, I see. And that's really the reason that we'd never gotten married or talked about getting married because we knew there were issues. Um, but, you know, the, if you listen to the This American Life, the This American Life piece, their take on it was that we had the perfect relationship and then decided to do that. And we did. We had a good relationship, but it was yeah. like two people who want to be together don't do this. Right. More lies from NPR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we still funding those bastards? <laughs> and so, yeah, so we, we decided to take 30 days to have sex with as many people as we could. How many did you get to? Uh, honestly, <laughs> it's kind of hard. Well, I it's, say... it's, it's hard. It's hard once you're like, okay, ladies, uh, I am, I am available. Who's line up? Well, that's the thing yeah. is that I would like for, I had made a rule for myself that I would tell whoever I went on a date with, I would tell them the situation. Oh yeah. That's very smart. And it was actually, oh, because people, they were like, I don't know why, but they were I don't know if it's like about the emotional openness of it that mm-hmm. I was just like mm-hmm. laying it out there. Like, here's the you, situation. It's because you gamified it for them. I gamified it for them, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm. we're just on a break and we're trying to figure out whether or not we're getting married. And pe- everyone was in. Okay. Now, would these have been women that um, were in your life beforehand where you might have had, the, had in the maybe pile or are these women that you met fresh during that period of time? Uh, let's see. There were, I think... A very small, like a small grouping who I had known before. But there was one who, like, the moment we started talking about this, I was like, oh, I know who. And I think I set the date up so that, like, I knew that we were, like, breaking, like, we were, I was moving out on, like, January 3rd, and I had a date with her January 3rd, you know? So there was, so there was some, but then others, it was just kind of, you know, doing stand-up and being in New York. Sure. Uh, things happen. Uh, so this is not the woman that you married. No, no, no. So oh, I, okay. I went through all okay. this, and this was you know crazy because also I had the the whole like pieces really about the fact that I had the dating skills of a seventeen year old boy. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, and, I can never reenter the dating. No, the dating. World. All I knew how to do was be in thirteen year long relationships. So yes. like I had to like choke back saying like I love you on the first date. You know, I like be, that sort would, of thing. Yeah, that would be yeah. I would be holding their hand. I would be acting like a thirteen year old boyfriend, not thirteen years old, but yeah. I would be acting like a long term boyfriend to women who I had just met. It instantly fixed their sink. Yeah, instantly. I would just be like, let's go. What do you got? You got any fans? Dinner can wait. Um, so, yeah, it was it's been a, a while crazy. Since we time. saw your mother. <laughs> yeah, the amount of uh, mothers that I met of the women I was sleeping with. No, but it, yeah, it, ha- it lasted for three months and then we ended up breaking up. Yeah, that's probably where that was bound to go. Yeah. Well, it's a fun way to do it. It's a fun way to do it. Just really drag it out. It beats all my breakups. My breakups had a lot less uh, sex with other people. <laughs> 
So uh, I have some uh, random questions about your stand-up special. Yes. Trust Me, mm-hmm. which is, um, people can still find that, I'm sure, like Comedy Central On 100%, Demand. 100%. You can, like or you can just go to my website. It's right there. You are not a fan of Jimmy Buffett. No. I am not. It's all that, and I have a, the whole joke from Trust Me is actually about Sirius XM. I noticed that. Yeah, you went through, you name dropped some of our uh, most prestigious channels. Yeah, and I didn't, for some reason, I was like, well, it'll be okay because I won't say Sirius XM, I'll say satellite radio. Right. But then I specifically named Sirius XM. <laughs> and no, also, think- now it's like, there's no. There's only one satellite radio, and it's they'll just, take. And by the, they'll take exposure any way they can get it. <laughs> they, they don't, even hating. They don't differentiate between good and bad attention. He hating on Margaritaville they're the like, channel. They're like toddlers in that way. Yeah, Buffett is, I think, a um, a sort of underexplored element of our culture. Do you know? I've brought this up on this show like five times. Give now, it to me. I find it so fascinating. Do you know what his latest venture is? His, yes, the, I do. The, the final frontier yes, for Jimmy I Buffett. Yes, I do. And it is perfect. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> yeah. he's opening opening retirement communities mm-hmm. that are called are they, they're not called Margaritaville, I don't think. No, more like like chemotherapy land. <laughs> yeah, it's just for people <laughs> to go and die with other people who love Jimmy Buffett. Right, right, which Every it's time, amazing. And whenever I say this to people, they go, "Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny, but it does make sense. You know, they're they're getting older, and 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 they love Jimmy Buffett, and they don't want to give give it up. But it's like, okay, okay, but." When they're in hospice, is Cheeseburger in Paradise still playing? <laughs> I mean, I mean do people wear thing. do people wear Hawaiian shirts when they when they bury you? Here's the thing: I shit on Jimmy Buffett so much in that joke. But I probably think that those are probably some cool old people to hang out with. Oh, I they're strongly. Probably, oh, I disagree. I, th- I, 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 yeah, I wildly disagree. <laughs> you yeah, think yeah. they're like right wing drunks? I think that they are like uh, like human docksiders. Remember those shoes? <laughs> <laughs> the, and my, the only part uh, in my mind that would make them cool yeah. is that they were drinking all the time. Yeah, they got that going for them. They love. Uh, I love a full-grown man in a captain's hat who's nowhere near a boat. <laughs> There's a couple things yeah. to recommend them, but certainly not their taste in music. No, not at all. You are anti-fudge. Yep, fuck fudge. Yeah. It's I'll so, come out and say it. It's so close, and and, and, and that's a sure, Jersey Shore food. Fudge would is, is, I mean, is in taffy. Yes, saltwater taffy, and the, the joke is about hating both of them. Oh, you get to you work taffy in there as well? Oh, yeah, it starts off with fuck Fuck f- saltwater taffy. Yeah, I never, I never got into that. That's one of saltwater taffy is terrible. And then fudge is kind of just a fuck you because there's a lot of people who do like fudge. Fudge is so close to being good and it's terrible. Well, it's so close to being chocolate. Why didn't you just make it fucking? Chocolate? I mean, the punchline from the joke is, um, I <laughs> oh look, I took chocolate and made it the consistency of a loose shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah or, or maybe a, a little bit chalkier. I like that kind of fudge. Yeah. I like that kind of fudge too. Uh, Google ads. I, I, you know, I'm fascinated by these. Uh, you felt like your uh, your phone or your computer or whatever was starting to anticipate what you were going to yeah. to want, but I am of the growing conviction that um, we are actually like at, at this moment being being spied on recorded like, like you, the audio recordings from your phone you have enabled something in your and, yes. and, and google and google denies it i think it. so somebody listen 
somebody who's listening to this show is going to get a Google ad in two days for Jimmy Buffett retirement homes. Yeah. Because their phone heard their phone talking about here's, it. Here's, here's when I first started noticing this. It, when my wife became pregnant and we couldn't – it had been like no shit like five days. We couldn't tell anyone mm-hmm. because it was just the beginning of the pregnancy. Yes. So, and we hadn't Googled anything. Of course she did. Because it was too early. We had just found out she was pregnant, but we were talking about her being pregnant. And I started getting ads on Facebook for fathers – uh, websites like articles about being a dad, mm-hmm. and it's just like we didn't type anything about. It's crazy. So there's the only way it could have happened, right? And it's happened over and over and over again where we talk about like uh, blinds, and we no one does any research, no ty- no typing, and then I start getting ads for blinds. And I can't tell you how many times on my other radio show that we will talk about something and people will say, "Hey, my my Google ads are about that." That That's thing crazy. now, just because they heard somebody talking about it on Isn't radio. That insane? Well, it's insane that nobody seems to that Google no. denies it. Nobody seems to be able to prove it. I yeah. looked into it because I really strongly suspect a uh, borderline. I, I, I just believe that this is what's going on. Yeah. And, it, and it is fucking nefarious. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's insane. It's incredibly evil, and and uh, it, it's evil in and of itself. And then the um, potential for further abuses it introduces are you know just almost unfathomable. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, the thing is, a a English newspaper went and were like, okay, we've been hearing these rumors that Google spying us. We're going to look into it, and they're like, no, nah, we got to the bottom of it, and uh, you know, people are um, people see relationships where there's no relationships. Like, you just happen to see an ad for something you happen to be thinking about. Well, you just noticed that because you were thinking about that thing. And I, to that, you know, I say bullshit. I say bullshit. I've never seen it before. I my wife was pregnant. I never saw an ad for a father's website. A father's website is such a weirdly specific type of website. It was all about being dad. Yeah, that's a that's a people who get too into being dad, especially the the younger your kid is, the 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 creepier it is. It is certain you, you yeah. see why the old school archetypes <laughs> Exist. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta, and I'm sure you do. You know, change diapers and wake yeah. up and hand hand bottles and stuff like that. But people who get really tied up emotionally and and people who can't talk, yeah, it's it's a fool's errand. It's it's you know, dressing them up. That's another story. You dress them up, silly. I'll tell. You, I'll, I like doing that. What do you dress your kid as? We just got her some sunglasses. <laughs> oh yeah, man. She's three months old and putting sunglasses on a three month old. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, you got to make your kid bad to the bone. I get that. Yeah, bad to the bone. Uh, Is that a true story from your stand-up special, Trust Me, about sending love notes to uh, kids, and you must have been in kindergarten. Yes, I was in kindergarten. Um, Yes, that is a 100% true story. I had, it was before I could read, and so like the babysitter wrote them for me, and I didn't really know what she was writing. Was this woman arrested? She was 12, so no. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> she was 12 years old, and obviously that's why she thought it was okay. I think she was coming into her burgeoning sexuality as a 12-year-old, you know, and she thought it would be cool to write some sexy stuff for a 5-year-old to give to five other. I gave it to five <laughs> girls in my kindergarten class. Well, you got to cast a wide net. You yeah, know? and the whole the idea of the story is that I never thought that if I can't read they also can't read. Which so means- the only way that they could figure out what I'd given them was to give it to their parents to read to them. And it was all this weird, hot, sexy stuff. And then uh, I was pre- treated as the uh, kindergarten serial rapist. Nobody actually got angry at... I mean, your parents did not get angry phone calls or anything. No, but like they were there 
my mom was called in. Mm. I was taken out of school. Was that yeah, sort of thing? That's probably an appropriate response. Yeah. Just to make sure I'm not an actual sexual predator at five years old. I mean, I think it would make you a sexual prodigy. Yeah. I think they would. I feel like I was a sexual prodigy, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And now you say uh, that you you are, I don't want to say you have a boring sex life, but that you, you have a vanilla approach. To sex? Uh, no, I mean I don't know. You know, with the with the relationship podcast that we do with my wife, I think things have gotten more interesting. Like we just went to a uh, BDSM dungeon mm-hmm. and had a mistress kind of like show us all this crazy stuff. And so we were like, I was naked, my wife was almost naked, and this woman was like zapping us with electricity. So you know, we didn't have sex there, but you know, things are getting more interesting. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, but also, like, neither of us are, like, into BDSM. You know, we're just kind of there as tourists. Yeah, you'd probably know by now, right? Yeah, you I, would definitely know. Because I wonder about that. I swear to God, um, I could be lying, but I'm not. I, there's, like, I have the most, like, straightforward approach to sex in the world. I really don't have a thing. Yeah. Other, I just like, I like sex, you know, yeah. and I like sexy things. And I almost feel like we've arrived at this place where, you know, as they say, uh, you know, I don't trust a man who doesn't have a vice. It's like I almost don't believe that there's anybody who doesn't have a kink, which honestly right. leads me to question of myself. What is your kink? Is there something that either you don't a, know about. That I, a wrinkle that I haven't seen, which that would be cool if that came up. Right. But but, but is but, there something so twisted that I cannot confront it and I am hiding behind yeah. the clinging to this veneer of sexual conformity. But also here's the here's the thing. I almost think there's the there's the other op- a- aspect is like thank goodness you don't know what your kink is because your life is so much easier. You know, if all of a sudden one day you found out that you needed to be shit on in order to come, mm-hmm. your life is going to be so much more difficult. Because it's going to be very difficult to find someone who will shit on your chest so you can get off. Right. Exactly. And I noticed as I started going through, it was advanced through my dating life that I said it was like a gauntlet. When I was a kid, it was like, you're cute. I like you. You like me. You seem Mm -hmm. fun. You know, we both like the crew. Let's do this. You know, and then you have experiences and you go, oh, okay, I get it. Can't. If somebody does that, that's a bad sign. You can't date that person. And the gauntlet gets a little bit longer because there's there's another test right. that that person has to pass. And I really was genuinely concerned by the time I was in my late 20s that my gauntlet, gauntlet had gotten long. so long that there was no chance I would ever meet a woman who didn't, who didn't you know, uh, uh, fail some. And I don't think I had like uh, uh, crazy neurotic tests, you know, uh-huh. just practical considerations of what I was willing to tolerate, you know, f- uh, over the long term from a life partner. And I used to think about that. What if I had the whole gauntlet, and 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 I had to find somebody who made it through that whole thing only so I could say, "There's this one more thing." <laughs> I know. I got to talk to you about it's. I mean, I mean, you're great. You're perfect. Don't you're change. perfect. But however, it's me. Can you piss in this bag and let me wear it around all day? <laughs> I need you to do this for me, baby. Please. Yeah. And I don't know if everybody does need to have her a, a uh, hey, I got Passaic, New Jersey calling me right now. Woo-hoo. I uh, <laughs> Shout out to the Passaic River. Don't go uh, jet skiing in no. that one. Yeah, it doesn't need electric to be electrified to kill you. Um, I, I wonder if everyone, like, 
maybe we're not as kinky as we think we are. I think that there have always been kinky people, and it's great that they get to be freer about that and stuff. But yeah. like, I read um, uh, there's a Dino, a pretty well-regarded biography of Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. You know what Dean Martin's kink was? What? Blowjobs. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Like the rat, it. The, the Rat Pack weren't like I don't think. But also, probably blowjobs in the fifties was probably like pretty pretty crazy. I wonder about that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't vanilla. A blowjob wasn't vanilla. Like I don't I'm think sure, in the fifties, sure, yeah, right. your normal husband wife having sex, a blowjob would be involved. Yeah, good girls probably right do that. Yeah, yeah. Let me see a couple more things on your special, which I enjoyed very much. Trust me on Comedy Central, the um, the potato famine. <laughs> okay, so right, so they, you know they make the observation. Um, you know, several six million people or three million people died because they wouldn't eat seafood. Yeah, they and, w- Yeah, exactly. They're on an island. Yeah, like the potato famine. You're on an island. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you fish? Not like, a very eat a bi- fish. Not a very big island. I mean, if your life depends on it, you can get to a coast within a couple of days, even even by 1848 I standards. I mean, they had they had ponies and horses and donkeys. They that's could a, just easily point. ride it to the. You can essentially, even if they have to salt the fish, you've got fish. You have so many fish. Yeah, right we're talking there. about we're talking about survival here. You're talking well, about the ocean. Here's another wrinkle to that. So I, I actually kind of do know the answer to that question. <gasps> Oh, okay. Is it super sad and depressing? Because I've I've imagined an answer to it. What do you think the answer is? My my imagined answer is that the British, uh, poor they they went out of their way to poorly educate the Irish so that they simply no longer knew the skills to fish. Okay, um, my my knowledge and, and theory are sort of along those lines. I. Uh... I read a book about the potato famine and it just fishing wasn't part of the culture and it wasn't a thing that was done. I don't know. Oh, why. that's it. I don't know why. Oh, fuck that. I don't know why. Fuck po- them. Potatoes then. were just enough for them, but they just had never done it. And and now, now that's I, crazy. I, okay, well, I have two issues with that. They certainly had boats of some sort. You know, they they had, they to, had so, to have had somebody. Boats. Somebody was somebody fishing. saw the ocean and was like, "You throw a tree in it." Yeah. Is it because there's not enough trees? That could be no, it. No, 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 no. There's far. I've been there recently. No, it's it's there's it's, forest. There's vegetation everywhere. Right. So, um, uh, it makes not, me mad right now. I'm getting mad. So, so they did them. not. They did not have the existing fishing industry. That I'm willing to accept. Were unwilling and or unable to cultivate it when faced with starvation. Gets a little bit weirder. Here's the third part. At that point, England, who was their overlords, had the world's most powerful navy. Oh. So England therefore let three to six million people die because they refused to teach them how boats worked. Of course, I mean, like the the, the British occupation of Ireland is is brutal and horrific. However, this idea that like you wouldn't look at the ocean, like look <laughs> at a fish and be <laughs> like, I could eat that. I mean, occasionally one of them's got to just wash up. One hundred percent. And you, and you're gonna eat that. I mean that a crab. You're gonna see a crab. You're gonna walk around this ocean. You see a crab. They got lobsters. I think they they totally have lobsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could have eaten like kings. Yeah, that was that that whole joke and the anger at the Irish came out of just you know I grew up on the Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. just surrounded by Irish Catholics, and for so long I believed I thought I was Irish because. And it turns out I'm not Irish at all. I Irish step dance for four years. My mom had me Irish step dance. 
And then I find out I'm not Irish. I'm not. A, there's not a lick of Irish blood in me. That's I was like, why really did I waste odd. my fucking time? My sister. That was a waste of time. My sister did that for at least four years. Yeah. I've been in so many smoky late night <laughs> halls. They were while... always. They're always like at the firehouse or like a VFW hall, and everyone was smoking. Everybody was Except smoking. Except for the kids. And uh, yeah, it was just drunk old Irish people who apparently could never get enough of watching nine year olds up past their bedtime, <laughs> stiff armed for their entertainment. Yeah. Uh, that's all the time that we have. It's been nice talking to you. Thanks, Mike. Um, Kurt Brownoller on social media. It's spelled nothing like it sounds. B-R-A-U-N-O-H-L-E-R. You can just Google Kurt Comedy. Okay. The Big Sick is a motion picture that you are involved with that is in theaters now. And this weekend, if you're listening to this show when it uh, when it comes out, you will be at the uh, Draft House in D.C. performing stand-up comedy. That is correct. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. 